If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one someday, Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they have helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process. They help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. 
you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. All right. Welcome back. I am joined today by a special guest, Peter Tanella, who is a partner at Mandelbaum Barrett PC. And what Peter does is he is an attorney, right? And so Peter does a lot of different things. He co-chairs the firm's corporate practice group and chairs the national veterinary law group. So veterinarians, legal help, that's what Peter and team does. So with that, we're going to have a fun conversation going through a number of different things. But Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Isaiah. Thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, these are always tons of fun. And I think initially, the biggest misunderstanding when it comes to attorneys, similar probably to like engineers as well, is like they hear, hey, you're an attorney. So we instantly think, you know, law and order, litigation, all that stuff, right? Or, oh, you do this or you do everything, right? But it's similar to engineering. Not all engineers do everything. Can you talk a little bit about a, the firm in general, because I know that you have a lot of folks that do a lot of different things, which is unique and also pretty cool that you can make sure that folks get the help they need. But then also your day-to-day or let's even say month-to-month because day-to-day can be tricky, right? But kind of what do you then do internally on the vet side? I'll give you the short answer first. We always say we're not that kind of attorney, you know, because people say, oh, it's the lawyer. You don't want to talk with the lawyer. We're the re- reverse. We want you to talk with us. Because it ties into our day-to-day. Backing up, we're a 100-person law firm, main office in Roseland, New Jersey, but we have a national practice that we built out over the last 10 years representing, I like to say, veterinary professionals all over the country, associates, practice owners, consolidators, other veterinary professionals who service the industry. We provide a full service to everyone. What does that mean? Do all different types of corporate work, transactional work. A lot of legal counsel, general corporate counseling. So the last thing you want to do, the lawyer jokes always, always are, well, how much is going to cost? We want to talk with our client about the project or what you know, the issue is, and then we'll talk about whatever the fees are involved. I don't want our client to be afraid to pick up the phone and give us a call, send us an email because they feel like a meter's running. That's not the way we operate here. You need to be able to communicate with your client when you're serving as a general counsel. And that's really where my day to day pretty much leads into. At any given time, I'm talking to various different clients. They need an associate employment agreement. They're looking at a joint venture. They may be bringing in somebody who's going to buy into the practice. They may be looking to sell. They have a land use issue. I mean, it really runs the gamut, which makes my day-to-day pretty interesting. 
And then we have the team that supports it, whether I'm handling something or one of our associates or our partners. It's really interesting. It's where we dedicate our team decades 100% of their time now. And that is slowly built up over this 15-year period that we've been in the industry. It started with one client. I joke around about it. I can remember a specific client I worked with for the first time. I met in a parking lot after a speaking engagement. Approached me. was looking to buy a practice. I said, sure, we can help you out with that. And that one client just led to another client, to another client. And it's the same story with, I'm sure, you know, and I know you and I've talked about this, a lot of our colleagues in the industry, it started with one client, like, hey, I like working in this space. And you spend more time meeting more professionals and then other clients. And it, it just seems to spread and grow. That's where we've ended up today. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's a great story. And it's a testament. Vet med is small, right? The industry is small. And so if you do good work, you treat people well, and you accomplish what they're after, it's like, shoot, all of a sudden, you'll have people knocking on your doors asking to say, hey, can I work with you? I have this question. And it's kind of a neat thing, which is really exciting. Knowing that we can go in a lot of different directions and knowing that you've had lots of conversations. One that I wanted to start with is friend of the show. And I know that, you know, because you spend time on LinkedIn, you've seen, you know, Paul Diaz, the non-compete thing. And I think it's interesting because you've spent time and you've talked about employment law and different things, just the enforceability of non-competes, because I know it varies state by state, but just have you seen an uptick in questions based on that? And then as an attorney, how have you talk to, whether it's an associate, whether it's an owner, and just kind of navigating that because it's gotten into a very hotly debated topic. It's always been a hot button issue. And I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Paul. I've heard a lot of great things about him. And I know he's talking about this issue a lot. And our team here, I'd be curious to see where this is going to end up at the end of the day at a federal level, which would then flow down to the rest of us. Right now, they are enforceable in most states. I always you know, look at California as the outlier. It's just, you know, it's a country into itself out in California. But in most states, it is enforceable. So we're advising clients. And actually, I just talked to a client earlier today. He's looking to bring on an associate. And we talked about, um, and it's actually here in New Jersey, looking to bring on an associate. We talked about uh, the need to have restricted covenants, a non-compete in particular, within his associate employment agreement. And he actually said to me, he wanted to have something in place with this particular associate who he's known since she's been in high school. But he said, to protect my practice, I'd like to have something. And we talked about a reasonableness standard in terms of how, because that's the litmus test. Is it reasonable in the term and in the radius? And we had a really healthy conversation about that. So he can go talk to his partner and then come back to me and say, listen, we're okay with the one year non-compete. This is the radius. This is where we're drawing our clients from. Because something like that, if it's ever challenged, you can go to a court and say, judge, we're drawing our clients from the eight miles or nine miles. That's why we put that radius in that her uh, employment agreement. I have seen them where in some of the corporate consolidators, they put in there 50 miles, something really unreasonable. It's unfortunate because a lot of our clients who come to us afterwards, when they look at that, yet may be unreasonable, but it's going to cost money and time and more money where they don't have to possibly challenge that or can I get out of that? Is it enforceable? They should have had that conversation earlier, but a lot of times they don't have the leverage because they really want that job. They're being offered a lot of money. And in return, the offer is, well, you can, we'll give you this, but 
here's the non-compete, whether it's enforceable or not. And I know I'm giving you a, a lot. I mean, in terms of my overall comment on it, I personally, right now, the way things stand, I think it's important for practice owners to have them in place to protect the goodwill of their practice. I can't envision as I sit here right now and I have a practice owner, he and his partner are running a practice, they have three associates in there, whether they sell it to another private vet or they sell it to a corporate consolidator, if you don't have an, an employment agreement with a non-compete in there, that's going to devalue your practice because if I'm a buyer coming in and I know that one or two or three of them can leave and compete against that practice, what am I buying? What am I paying for that at the end of the day? It's not a one-size-fits-all. When you're in emergency medicine, I agree. You're not going to have a non-compete emergency medicine. You're not creating those day-to-day relationships with clients. But when you're in a small animal general practice and you have the same clients coming in on a regular basis and the associate is familiar with those clients, I just don't see as we sit here today you know, how you could paint a broad brush and say you shouldn't have non-competes. I mean, I'm open to the conversation and figure out you know, what's workable, but I don't think that's fair to the practice owners. And in the deals that we're doing right now, the corporate consolidators, they're not going to buy a practice for the most part if there's not an employment agreement in place with some type of reasonable non-compete. And it's the same when you even have a private buyer looking to buy a practice. The banks typically require it as part of their loan process. Does the associate have an employment agreement in place? What's the non-compete look like? It's like an engine. If one of the wheels falls off, that car is not as valuable as four wheels. So if one of those associates leaves, you're driving around in a three-wheel car, it's not as good as you have all four wheels on there. That makes sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then it's kind of sticking, I guess, with employment contracts just in general and kind of the uniqueness within VetMed. What have been the issues outside of, let's say, non-competes in employment contracts that you've seen? And how do you advise owners versus associates or when someone does call you up and say, hey, I have this issue? What do you see with employment contracts? I think really broad brush is compensation is an issue that usually gets worked out depending on the parties. Now more so than ever before, I think the pendulum has really shifted to the associates in terms of the leverage. My client I talked with this morning, he was laughing. He said, 15 years ago when I came out, he goes, I had to beg somebody to hire me. Now it's completely shifted where the associates have a lot of the leverage, and they know that. I think one of the things we talk about now more than ever is some type of equity component with the practice owner. Am I going to get equity? Is there going to be some type of profit sharing in addition to just my employment with the practice? That is a big issue that we're dealing with on a regular basis for our clients, trying to come up with some type of option in the event they need it to provide to not only their associates, but other employees in practice. The way to create some type of uh, structure that they can share in either the profits of the practice or have some type of minority ownership in the practice. Whereas you didn't see that years ago, now you're seeing it. And I think a lot of that was forced based upon all the corporate consolidation that went on because all the corporate buyers were always saying to the sellers, listen, if your associate wants to share in a piece of this or Get get some equity. We're open to that. They were smart because they provide equity. They're going to create some tentacles around the associate and you're going to stay longer. So I think that's kind of driven the issue with a lot of the practice owners who are looking to hire their own associates and they're having those conversations because the associates are forcing them now. Yeah. So 
let's say you're giving advice to an associate that's saying, Hey, I think I found this great practice. I'm talking to the current owner. We've kind of agreed that they want to give me the option for equity ownership in the future. I'm going to be a minority owner. Is that something when it comes to the employment agreement that it needs to be written down when they're going to talk about it? Would you encourage them to have it written like, Hey, in 18 months, we're going to sit down and say yay or nay? Because I see this story play out all the time of I'm promised one thing, but then there's never a date or a time. And then one party gets really frustrated and then it becomes a burr that just kind of gets irritated and it just causes friction. What advice would you give to kind of help smooth that over or just make it easier for all parties involved? Yeah, that, that is a great point. Again, times have changed. I think years ago, the employer would say, yeah, yeah, I agree to that. We'll talk about that in 18 months. And that was good enough. I don't see that happening now. And I think, the, again, with the leverage shifting over to the associates, if we're rep- depending on who we're representing, in that scenario, if we're representing the associate, I would encourage the associate to push that issue and have a conversation around that issue. And then let's spell it out in the employment agreement. So there are clear parameters, what needs to be achieved in order for that opportunity to achieve equity to happen. And if there's goals that are set and the associate meets those goals, then there's a mechanism that takes place as opposed to just some type of promise. And to your point, and I have seen that, you get a client calls you up and they have an employment agreement in place already. They're frustrated. So yeah, Dr. Smith promised me I was going to get equity in here. I've been working here for five years. Well, what's he saying now? He promised me, well, what's going to happen? I don't know, but it's not spelled out anymore. It's almost like you're setting the parties up to fail or to disrupt a really good thing. Why don't you have that conversation early on right now if they're open to it and you can draft around it to provide a path for that to to occur and then both sides can agree upon it. Yeah, and I've seen it where, and it could be with the best of intentions, not trying to cause issues. I've seen it where it absolutely has had some maybe negative thoughts where maybe it was just said to get someone to come work for them. And then it was never really the intent. I've seen that, unfortunately, but I think the vast majority it's, hey, we're really busy. We're running and gunning. We're trying to grow the practice, solve these issues, work on this project, work on that project. And it's like, hey, it's three years later and shoot. I know I said 18 months we were going to talk and we just have it. And having at least a good check-in or threshold of when we're going to talk is good. What about the age-old question on valuation? Well, I came in, busted my hump, I grew this thing, and now I'm buying the growth. What about that? How do you how do you help address that? Yeah, that is an age-old question. That's a good point. You kind of stumped me on that one. How do you handle that? It just it really depends on what side you're on. If again, if you're on the associate side, you try to talk some reason into the associate, saying, you know, that the owner has all the risk that's on their shoulders. So you, you want to just kind of talk them through it. If it's early on, the associate's coming on, you could have a, you know, a conversation around maybe some, again, some benchmarks. They're coming in, the practice is worth a million dollars over the next several year, two years. If the gross goes up 200,000, 300,000, and you've contributed to that, and maybe you can get a percentage of that growth and you can have some language around that. I think that's fair. But to come in after the fact while you've been working there, and ask for that. I don't think it's fair to the owner. I would agree. And I try not to interject too much of my opinion as again, people are showing up to hear your thoughts. I think the other challenge is you've been paid as an associate while you were there a wage to do a job. And that was the agreement that you made. Going back to trying to 
put some stuff in the contract to help smooth things over. I think valuation is always the tricky one. Well, whose valuation is it? I've seen a valuation that had a $700,000 difference between two professional certified valuation experts. That's hard. Well, if I'm the associate, I like the low number. If I'm the owner, I like the high number. So do we split the difference? Or how do you encourage people to structure that if there is that component to buy in in the future? I think, Isaiah, a lot of it just comes down to communication. There's a relationship being formed here. The party's got to communicate. If you can't communicate, then you know it's almost as in, you know, on the personal side, when you're dating somebody, if you can't communicate, it's obviously it's not going to work out to create a marriage or a partnership. It's the same on the business side. So if there's nothing in writing and the associate goes gets a value, first of all, I would encourage them to agree upon someone who can get the evaluation done and they agree upon that party. A lot of times the seller has gotten that valuation done already. And then the buyer's got to say, okay, am I going to agree to that number or not? So it just really depends on the circumstances with the parties and where they are in the process. In the end, it really comes down to communicating and how much that associate wants to be part of that practice. And then figuring out a fair, there is a fair price there at the end of the day. And I like to tell the clients, you really want to kind of put your team around it. We're one part of the team. I think having a really good accountant who understands vet med is another important part of the team. And I always encourage our clients, do you have, who is your accountant? You should get somebody who's within the industry because he or she can help us kind of figure out that part. They're looking at the numbers. They know what the industry standards are and they can figure out what's fair to the seller and to the buyer. On any podcast like this, it's easy always to ask hard questions. And then if I'm in your seat, I always will be like, well, it depends. And that's the official answer. And then let me give you kind of my... It always depends. I know. No, it's the same way. Like I've been on podcasts and people ask me questions. I'm like, I have opinions, but there's nuance there and it's going to be, it depends. But here's some thoughts to think about it. And then you just go into, and we have a handful of clients that they want to buy and it's the first time I've ever done it. And I'm sure you've worked on maybe one or two or, you know, hundreds of these type of things. What kind of guidelines or encouragement would you give them on the buying process? Because it's full of potholes and areas to really get yourself in trouble over time. Here in this industry, I try to set the tone when a client, any one of those clients that you're referencing, it's the first time they're doing it. I tell them our job is to hold your hand through the process. And I use the analogy, if I'm going to your clinic with my dog and she's scratching like crazy. I don't know what's wrong with her. I bring her in and you say to me, Pete, she's got X. Here's your options here. And I say, Dr. Smith, thank, this is great. And I use, I said, I don't like that option, but that works. It's the same approach here. First of all, I don't know the first thing about why she's scratching. That's not what I should be. That's why I'm going to a doctor. Here, our job is to educate our client on the issues, give them options. Then they make the decision at the end of the day. We're not sitting there preaching to them. You can't do this. You can't do that. We want to help them at the end of the day, make a deal, be a deal maker. We don't want to get in their way of their deal. So long as they go in eyes wide open, they're educated and walk their hand through the process. And with regard to the ones who are buying, we always say we're in the business of relationships. So I want to work with them, help them through the deal so that they're happy. They think, wow, we use Mandelbaum. Those guys are a great team because once they become a practice owner, they're going to have a whole other litany of issues or needs. And we want to be able to position ourselves as they're out to our general counsel and say, that was a great experience. Great. We're going to hire an associate. I get an email. I get a text. Oh, 
we need a personal policy manual. Or this issue came up. I don't want them saying, well, that was a terrible process. They weren't around. They weren't available. We're never going to use those guys again. So we're in the business of creating relationships. So we really want to educate our client, give them options so they feel like it's a really good experience and ease their nerves. I know where you're kind of going with it because a lot of them are like, well, I've never done this before and I'm borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it could be a million dollars. It's a lot. I get it. And I'm not walking in your shoes, but based upon hundreds of deals that we've done, try to take that experience and say, listen, we hear you. We're here to help you. We want to get you where you want to go. And it's a collaborative process, again, with their team. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course. That's what makes veterinarian special. You're mission-driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Are there any stories, case studies of things you can kind of go back in the memory banks and think through the process of like, here's someone that did a really good job, or this was the one. And I know that's usually the, this is the big mistake that happens is the one that sticks, but any thoughts through the buying process with working with folks in the past? I think again, somebody like you would appreciate it. And I think other professionals in this industry, if you've had an opportunity to work with other clients outside this industry, you appreciate how much working within this industry because the clients listen to you. They appreciate your advice. They listen to you and things go relatively smoothly. One, I remember a deal I did years ago, probably when I first started, we were talking about a transition period for the seller. My client was the buyer and we were negotiating the deal. And I think that the seller had a one year or six month transition period. And I remember following up with my client, I think two weeks or three weeks after the close and checking in, how's it going? How's it going? Tell so him, ah, I fired that guy. I got rid of him. That was just a shocker to me. Like, I didn't need him. I fired him. He was in my way. Even though we had a transition period built in, we spent some time on that. I, mean, I was really the only outlier I can think of. I, I thought it was funny at the time. He was confident. He was ready to go, go ahead on his own. But we've been very fortunate since. I can't think of any really bad stories where like, wow, that really didn't work out well for him. No, for the most part, they work out really well. And I think it's why a lot of there's so many professionals looking to service the industry, especially a lot of the lenders. They feel it's a very safe space to lend money because the clients did do a nice job and there seems to be plenty of demand for the work that's out there. What questions are you getting recently that are they the same questions? Is there any kind of changes or differences from what you've seen in years past? One of the things we talk and you know, other professionals on a regular basis, going back to that pendulum, I'd say over the last three years, we were always doing a significant amount of corporate transactions, a lot of them. And you didn't see as many startups or private practices from one veterinarian to another veterinarian. I think that pendulum in 2023 has really started to shift. Yes, there's still corporate 
transactions going on, not nowhere near to the volume that there once was, but where I'm spending a lot more time associate buy-ins, startups, sellers looking to sell to other associates. That has come right back again in full circle. You talk to other colleagues, other lenders, they're lending a lot more money again now on startups and buy-ins, acquisitions. That had really slowed down over, I'd say, the last three years, and it's come back. And it's nice because you really see a bright light for the privatization, maintaining the privatization of that med. Now, you're always going to have the corporate consolidators out there, but we have so many clients all over the country looking to start up with a partner, buy into a practice, buy their own practice. Those are the fun transactions to work on because you're working with them, I like to say, from the cradle. I used to say to the grave, but I think people are a little more sensitive now, so we don't say the grave anymore. So we say from the cradle to the end. And it's the same thing in the way our practice is set up. We want to work with them in the beginning. And once they're set up, and then we're kind of working with them on an as-needed basis as they go. You have all different types of issues that you're addressing for them. So it keeps it fun and it keeps it interesting. I think that's fascinating to hear kind of the, the way the pendulum swings. And it's similar in lots of other aspects of life and other businesses. But I think that's encouraging because I think there were feelings and I think there still are people that feel that way that, you know, private practice ownership is going to be dead. I certainly don't subscribe to that, but I've heard it mentioned quite a bit. And so your seat in the industry is really neat to kind of see how that adjusts over time. Yeah, it seems to still be the white elephant in the room, especially over the last like, three years. Wow, everything's getting gobbled up. We were always still doing some startups and, and some acquisitions. This year, more than ever, it, it's come back to what it was prior to a lot of the consolidation. And I just don't see it happen to me because I, I think while there are a lot of good corporate consolidators out there, there are you know, some their employees or even you know, their owners, because if they sold and they got some equity in it, they're not happy. They want to go out on their own. And maybe they, they feel uh, it's not everything it's cracked up to be. I want to own my own practice or I want to go partner with Isaiah. We've always had this dream. Let's go do this. And they can go do it. You're seeing a lot more of that now. And I was talking with a friend yesterday. You turn on one news channel, there's a pending recession. You turn on another news channel, Wall Street's looking good. Maybe there's not a recession. You don't know what to believe in terms of, are we going to a recession? Are we not going into a recession? I really haven't seen much of a change here. I mean, we're, a, we're as busy as we've ever been. Maybe it's just different type of work in terms of not doing as many corporate sales or doing other type of work. But I don't see it slowing down at all on our end in terms of servicing the industry. There's a lot of activity going on. And talking to a lot of my friends in the lending industry, they're busier than ever lending money, which is a good thing for the industry. Yeah, I would agree with that. What haven't I asked about that you think is interesting or on your heart or mind that you'd want to share with veterinarians out there, both owners, associates, and students as well? Get educated, ask questions, surround yourself with the right professionals. I know that sounds very cliche, but going back to, have you seen something that happened that you can tell us about. I think when people just don't have the right people around them, that's where mistakes or issues can get created. I have a lot of our friends in the industry or attorneys who work really well together. Like you said at the outset, it's a small industry. I think any one of us, you ask any one of us, the attorneys who work exclusively in the industry, what's one of the biggest issues that we deal with? It's when you know, a client, we're working on a matter, and I'm sure 
you've seen this. They're working on the matter and somebody hires their friends, you know, their friend's uncle at a country club or somebody who's not really involved in the industry. They come in and they just create more issues than are necessary. You can be an advocate for your client, but you can get, you know, be reasonable and get things done. I find when you're working with attorneys that I can think of, you asked before, I remember one transaction that our client was buying the practice from her employer. She'd been there for five years. She was really the rightful successor. It should have been a very straightforward acquisition. And the attorney for the practice owner ended up being a friend, the practice manager at Estaround and got somebody. The guy mainly spent most of his time in court. That deal was so painful unnecessarily. Thankfully, the two parties, my client and the seller, were talking on a regular basis to kind of curb a lot of the nonsense that was going on. But boy, just surround yourself with the right professionals. Get educated. There's a lot of people in the industry. We all work very closely together. You ask for somebody, interview people, find somebody aligned with your personality. That's probably the best advice I can give anybody. And it's not unusual or anything else. You surround yourself with a, you know, a good team and you're going to get things done. Yeah. Attorneys that are looking for a fight that doesn't ever need to happen. If they're usually a litigator. I can just imagine how much enjoyment that must have been. Uh, I, I remember outside in the event industry, I, I remember when I was a young attorney, I remember I, I it was doing a transaction and I remember I was, as a Saturday, I got an email from somebody and it was in all caps. This guy, I can just picture him in all, hit the all caps button. He's typing away. Urgh. I'm looking at this email. I was in the, like the parking lot of the shop. I was getting some groceries. What the hell is wrong with this guy? It's not rocket science. We're just kind of figuring out an issue. We're, we're just working through, but he was so used to litigating in court. And that's not how you get deals done. It was unfortunate. We did get that one done, but boy, that was painful. It shouldn't have to be painful. Well, it just costs the end clients more if they're paying for, for someone that is going back to, if it's not based on a project or other things, and you're paying someone by the hour, it's like, well, you have to at some point be like, why are you doing It's not worth the extent of the push here. Right. Are they pushing because they're trying to prove something or is it their client actually wants that? And I think that sometimes yeah, they're, they're it's not Yeah, a looking. great point, Isaiah. One, you want to avoid the ping pong and the points. It shouldn't be going back and forth, back and forth. That doesn't help anybody else. Pick up the phone, have a conversation. A lot of times I'll encourage the client, you know, if an issue comes up, we're unable to resolve it with counsel. I'll just tell my client, I'll say, Gene, go talk to Dr. Douglas. Talk to him about this issue. This is what we know, what we're thinking about. Go talk to him. Nine times out of 10, you know, she'll come back. The client will come back and say, you know, I talked to him. He's in agreement with this or he's okay with that, but we should change this. Then you can get back or you, know, you can follow up with the attorney. So it's my understanding the clients talk and you can address that issue. It really comes down to communication. I mean, you don't want to scorch the earth at the beginning of a relationship because you're going to, you got to take that approach. These two are going to become partners or she's going to start working at that practice. I mean, that's the last thing that you want to do. And again, knowing what's market, what's reasonable, that's the value you're bringing to your client so they can maintain that relationship and actually maintain it, but expand upon it while they're still protected, as opposed to just going in there and changing everything for the sake of, oh, I got a comment on this or I got a comment on that. Then you have a conversation about it. You say your client and your client's like, you know what? I'm okay. Like the one client I talked with this morning, I don't know what he's going to come up with in terms of a radius. We talked about it. He's going to go back, talk to his partner, and they're going to come up with a radius for that they feel is reasonable. But we talked about it as opposed to him just throwing in some number in there 
And even with a sign-on bonus, that's another thing too. Going back to the question yet, yes, another issue is coming up, sign-on bonuses. I think a lot of the private practitioners, they realize that in order to compete with corporate or B market, they want to offer some type of sign-on bonus. So we talked about a sign-on bonus today. He had already told the associates going to join his practice. He's going to give her a $10,000 sign-on bonus. So my question to him was, I said, I know you've known her since high school, but if it doesn't work out, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever time, do you want some type of clawback in there? Just because I'm your attorney, I'm just giving, I'm advising you. These are your options. Oh, that's a good point. He'll go talk with his partner. He probably is going to come back and say, you know what? I know her. We don't need that. But at least he goes there. He's educated what his options are. If it doesn't work out, he's given her $10,000 the day they sign that contract. What if she quits in 30 days or 60 days? She doesn't like it. She's taking that money. There's nothing in that contract that talks about how he can get that back. But at least he's educated in the issue and then he can go and make a decision. I'm not telling him, you got to have this in there. We talked about it. Every situation is different. Yeah, I think that's great. And sign-on bonuses, I know, have become a bigger conversation. There was a podcast that I did earlier with Meredith Jones and Ryan Koopmans about, you know, are signing bonuses the new non-competes? And it was an interesting conversation to kind of go back and forth on if there is a clawback period and you want to make sure like, hey, I kind of spent that sign-on bonus, so I have to stick around longer. And there's lots of nuance and some things to consider when those big dollars are thrown around. And do you really want the sign-on bonus or is it just nice? And can you negotiate other things? So yeah, super important. And it depends on the circumstance. I think in his circumstance, he's known this person probably close to 10 years. She's worked at his practice for a number of years as a vet tech. She went to veterinary school now. Now she's going to come back. He knows what he's getting. As opposed mm-hmm. to maybe somebody coming cold off the street or it's not a one size fits all. It go, again, it goes back to communication, educating the client, giving them the options, what you're seeing in the market and saying, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we want to do that. Or you know what? I'm comfortable. No, we're okay. You got to talk it through. Yeah. I did remember, and it's good on me because sometimes I forget when there's guests, right? Is there any question? So I always throw it back because I've hit you with questions here left and right, and then just gone on to the next one, another one, another one. Any questions or any thoughts or things that you want to kind of position back to me that you want to discuss? Yeah, that's a good question. It's funny. You get to know me. You talk to my wife and my, my kids like, Dad, how do you not remember that? My memory's terrible. I, I can't remember typically what I had for dinner last night. But I do remember the first client that I ever worked with in this industry. I clearly remember him approaching me in the parking lot of the hotel where we're at. I went to a speaking engagement and I saw him out. I listened in the audience and he knew I was an attorney and he grabbed me afterwards. And looking at you, you remember, you know, the first client that you worked with within VetMed? How did that come about and what your, you know, what your experience was with that client? Yeah, it's a great question. I actually got to spend some time with him yesterday, which is fun. And so it's an equine vet here locally. And uh, I actually went and just did a ride along for the first half of the day. We've become friends from that standpoint. And so I just went to the barns with him and his uh, assistant and, and spent the day and just kind of saw things and, and checked it out. We've been wanting to, to do that for a while. And I was like, oh, we'll do it in April because the weather will be nice. And I'm too big of a sissy to want to go when it's cold. So of course, in Indiana recently, it's been super cold. So it was like low 40s, high 30s in the morning we were there. So it's fine, right? It was nice and it was enjoyable and it was different, but good conversation throughout. And I enjoyed it. So it was fun to do that. But no, it came through. 
it's one of those things where you say like, Hey, I want to serve this niche. I want to serve this person. And so it was me with the podcast, putting out content and he had reached out. It's actually, I think on LinkedIn initially was the reach out and was like, Hey, I work with someone else right now, but I'd like to chat with you. And from there it was meeting with him and his wife going through different things. And yeah, it's been nice to have that relationship. And because they were local, I think that helped a little bit initially just with the way that I think what he values and same thing. We work with clients all over the country, similar to you all. It's great when you can see them. And so sometimes at bigger conferences, it's like, hey, if you guys are there, let's go to dinner and it's going to be purely social. We're not going to talk about anything other than what's life like. And that to me is great. But yeah, I do remember him reaching out, the conversations. And it's funny that it was literally just yesterday we got to spend some time together. You have a much better story than I did. You're just like very <laughs> Yellowstone-esque. The guy yeah. you're riding in you know, the race in the parking lot. I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, geez, oh, yeah. it's good. But No, it's, <laughs> but again, I think they're very similar because it's the idea of you were somewhere talking about what you do. Yeah. And with mine, it wasn't quite the same way, but the podcast has become my kind of platform to share thoughts and feedback, but also just share with the wisdom of so many other people in the industry, which is what makes it really fun. So I get to come on and ask good questions and learn and hopefully highlight the expertise of guests. And that's kind of been a focal point for a long time. Yeah. And, and this is a great platform to share information. I listen to a lot of different ones within the industry. And I think, what would you say over the last year or two years, you know, a lot more of them, it's a lot more prevalent. There's a lot more information out there that you can get. But I agree with you. Nothing takes place of going to the various conferences. And it's one of the reasons you know, people ask me all the time. We exhibit at BMX in Orlando. We exhibit at Western in Las Vegas. What do you get out of that? You know, you spend time, it's money. I really enjoy it because it gives me an opportunity. I'm, I do get a chance to see a lot of existing clients at them that come to the booth, say hello. And I'm, I, some I've never seen because some I had before Zoom. And then the ones I see on Zoom and then you just come, I'm like, oh, this is what you look like. You get a drink, you have dinner. We were just in Vegas for Western a few months back. And I had a client come to my booth, him and his wife. He said who he was. I'm like, okay. I didn't recognize him. I never saw him in person. We helped him buy his practice 12 years ago. And he came over to my booth. But that was pre-Zoom. So and him and his wife, I'm like, this is what you guys look like. Uh, it was great. But it's a really warm feeling. And it's nice when you can get together with them in person. Absolutely. One thing that I think you do an awesome job at is content and sharing information and doing different things across different platforms. But for those that are interested, and I think for a lot of people that listen to this show, there's an entrepreneurial bend a lot of times, or at least they're interested. Where would you send them? What are good resources for them to get connected to you and the team? Yeah, I guess what's a good handoff? Yeah, I would just direct them to our website. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website. You do some informational pieces on our website. That's www.mblawfirm.com. And you can start the process there. We're always open to a conversation. We do a quarterly newsletter where we're sharing information on non-competes, on personal policy manuals, all different types of legal issues in the industry. But then where I think ours is kind of unique, we're partnering up with spotlighted client, different types of clients in every newsletter. And then we also, we welcome the opportunity for industry friends to join and we do an industry spotlight and they get to tell their story, what they're doing. But really, again, just trying to provide information to the industry, just like you're doing through this podcast. I love it. Yeah. I'll link to the website. I know you're active on LinkedIn and, and a lot of different events and stuff that you're doing. So I'll, I'll link there as well. But right. Peter, uh, really, really appreciate it. And thank you for carving out some time and chatting today. Thanks again for the opportunity, Isaiah. It was great talking with you.
All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor women's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to t find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, a uh, 24 hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on Not Podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used 
for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.